Connell Tribune, Thursday the 14th of November 2019. Dunfanahy's James Brogan, a golfing maestro. Around the beginning of the 90s, the most of 30 years ago, Gigsy, aka Raymond Shields, and myself began our golfing careers on the Dunfanahy links. Well, actually, I joined Barn Hill the previous year with a few guys from work. But after a year in the Letter Kenny Parkland course decided along the gigs to head down the N56, past Arge Forest Park and Port Nabla, and then the links in Dunfanaghy. It's a layout similar to Royal Dublin, front nine heading out to Port Nabla and the back nine coming in towards the clubhouse, with the last three holes spreading around Kelly Hoy and Hornhead across the incoming tide. It's not exactly a championship course, but it's a true links with beautiful greens and when the wind blows, you know all about it. It was this wonderful setting which attracted us, initially three of us, although Fred fell by the wayside, but Giggs and I soldiered on. There was no golfing tradition around Terman or Kilmack, and like Mick Mick McGinley, we never had a lesson in our lives, but using a swing manufactured in our pitch and putt days. In Letterkenny, we managed to make headway in the game. It wasn't easy as anyone who's ever held a ping driver a wedge or a Scotty Cameron putter will confirm. It's not like football or learning to ride a big. It's absolutely frustrating, trying to absorb the techniques of the game, perfecting your backswing, searching for the single plane golf swing, how to locate a fairway, using low irons to perfection, creating consistency with higher irons into the greens, and disciplining yourself to no more than two putts. As they say, it's just not cricket. There are definitely easier games to pick up. It's as, frust- as frustrating as trying to get Arlene and Nigel Dodds into bed with the shinners, but there really is no game like it. Hitting that little white title is 200 yards down the fairway, creaming a two-iron to the fringes, caress a little wedge to the middle of the manufactured green, and then drop a 10-foot putt for par. Now that's the theory, of course, but putting it into practice is another story. That is if you're among the great unwashed mass of golfers who are classed as high handicappers. Guys who would never be in single digits, 15 to 25 handicap. Golfers who incidentally are in the cohort of about 80% of golfers. There would be the guys who would see more bogeys than birdies. Guys who would never shoot their age in golf in the seniors. Many would visit Golf Stale in Galway or Conboys' Golf Store in Letterkenny investing in the latest tailor-made M6 driver, which apparently would change their game in dramatic fashion. Guys who would always play brilliantly in the Sunday four ball until Captain's Day every year, and then collapse dramatically. Guys who were always favorite for the annual Cuda One, Shooter One trophy. Guys you meet in the 19th hole every Sunday morning after golf, and had more excuses for their disastrous round than England had for failing to win the World Cup in soccer or rugby. I've met all of the above. They're the greatest crowd of underachievers in sport you'd ever meet, but at the same time with the most wonderful group of friends. But saying all that, in the midst of another round in the mid-90s or 32 miserable points in Stableford, like in all aspects of life, you'd come across someone different. A genius of sorts and in my experience in golf, just one guy who was incomparable in his capacity to embrace the little white ball game. A wee man who more resembled a sheep farmer in the hills below Muckish rather than a sublime golfer. Small in stature but big in heart, 
a golfer of outstanding ability in the links of Donegal over the decades, a friend who was a big part of my golfing experience and a stalwart of golf in Dunfanny for almost 70 years. The wee man I refer to, of course, is James Brogan, a modest, self-effacing, a man of simple taste who could make a golf ball talk, the best golfer I've ever seen in my life, now in the twilight of an outstanding life in the Dunfanny links. Hopefully he forgives me when he opens this edition of the Tribune on Thursday as he has a coffee in the clubhouse, maybe playing nine holes with old friend Roger Green, possibly meeting up with Mick McGinley or indeed even Paul and shooting the breeze. If one person can personify the great game of golf, it's James Brogan. Seventy years ago, Ireland was a different place. Just five years after the greatest implosion in world history, as the armies of former imperial powers replayed World War I and sent millions to their death in a slaughter fest of unimaginable horror, with the obscene coup de grace, the dropping of atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. How appropriate that the target of the American venom recently was the host to a World Cup in rugby, with the combatants of World War II competing on the playing field rather than at the end of a machine gun. On the links at Dunfanny, the local kids were making a few bob caddying for the visiting golfers of the day. Among them was a wee redhead boy, Jimmy Brogan. Amongst others, they'd swarm over the links offering their services, all their time searching for golf balls to sell back to their wayward owners. And then when the course was free, they would try their collective hands at the game themselves. Golf then wasn't like the modern version with massive numbers embracing the game. Back in the day, it was an elitist sport for a certain cohort in society. It also belonged to a certain section in society. It definitely wasn't the game of the working class. In 1967, there were only 16 members in Dunfanny. But in due course, like everything else, times would change and the game evolved into the worldwide game we know now. The club today has around 900 members. James would caddy for many years while also refining his own golfing skills. An anecdotal tale from back then has James caddying for some eminent visitors, probably doctors, lawyers, businessmen, judges and clergy. The story goes that on a hot day they paused for a little libation to quench their thirst. When James pulled out a trusty three wood given to him by a former bank manager Jim Diver and hit the ball further than any of the golfers to their absolute amazement. The natural talent was there for all to see. As the latent talent developed over the years, so did the game of golf, and by the 70s and 80s, greater general interest was created by golf shown on television, with images of Jack Nicholas, Lee Trevino, Seve, and her own Christy O'Connor at the Belfry. Ryder Cups, the British Open at Troon. The game was up, opening up, and the stars of the little white ball game became superstars to a new generation. Meanwhile in Dunfanny, James by then the greenkeeper was gaining a reputation as a golfer of note. While his day job was keeping the fairways looking resplendent, after work he took his talents to the links and his tidy work around the greens during the day. In the evening he would swap his ransom moor, smuggled over the border by G.B. Hanlon, for his tailor-made clubs and shoot a score which would usually bring home the crystal. A greenkeeper of note, but an even better golfer. That was wee James. Hopefully I won't be embarrassing James with reference to his golfing success over the years. But it is truly phenomenal. Winner of the captain's prize in Dunfanny eight times, yes eight, between 1980 and 2001. 
Cap, the President's Prize in 98, add in the Captain's Prize in Rossapena and Clahanili, and the President's Prize in Port Salem, Captain's Prize with the Muckish Ramblers Society, All Ireland Captain's Prize at Rossapena in 71, three Senior Scratch Cups in Dunfanny, and two Intermediate Scratch Cups at Port Salem. Add in the countless club competitions over the decades, and it's an astonishing record for this little unassuming man. His first handicap was eight, but he reduced it to its lowest, minus one for a year. By the millennium, it was four. In recent times, as his golfing career moved into the sun, setting around Hornhead, he was playing of eight again. His golf career turned full circle in 50 years, but he was never out of single digits. In my humble opinion, he was a genius of a golfer, the best golfer I've ever seen and had the pleasure to play with. Ten captains' prizes, eleven if we include the Ramblers. It's an amazing statistic. I've seen much less impressive stuff in the Guinness Book of Records, which some suggested once that James' record be submitted. Eleven captains' prizes. Anyone who's played the great game will tell you how hard it is to win one. Most golfers play their whole life without ever winning one. It's similar to getting a hole in one, which again, James has had many. Golfers play for 11 months and then Captain's Day arrives. The biggest day in the golfing calendar, everyone anticipates that this year will be their day. Been playing well in the early summer months leading up to it. There's a good feeling about this year, probably like Mayo fans everywhere. You've been consistent, playing off your handicap, few wins in the spring and early summer, maybe a week in the Algarve to tone up your tan and short game. The night before, just a little nightcap and early to bed to prepare for the big day. The morning arrives, early August sunshine. It's the perfect day to hit a winning score. It's stroke, of course, so something in the low 60s should put you in the nine-hole playoff. And a steady level par around the long 16th, treacherous 17th, finally up the hill at the blind 18th. Second to the green and two putts and the adulation of the expectant fellow golfers gallied around the green. You've done it, you've achieved the Holy Grail, the captain's prize in 2020, and then you wake up. The reality is that you arrive at the first tee full of nervous tension, like a bumbling fool on a first date, you've forgotten your golf shoes and have to borrow a pair, forgot to buy tees and have only a few golf balls in the bag, and you're on the tee in two minutes as you hurriedly put bag on an electric trolley, which you also forgot to charge last night. The starter calls out to your group on the tee, you're with three low handicappers you don't know. Now, if anything's going to knock your confidence, that's it. They tee off and hit the tightest 250 metres down the first, over the green and halfway to the green where a wedge will suffice and a putt for birdie. You stand up, your ping driver in your hand, the nerves have kicked in. Swick, swing low, sweet hacker, not a good bet. The drive reaches the drain and slowly rolls in, penalty shot. The third reaches the greenside bunker. Five sand wedge duffs later and you have two putts for a big ten. GM has ten captain's prizes. You have taken ten shots at the first and your captain's day is over for another year. But winning captain's prizes and the coveted trophy is only part of the story as indeed is every sport. It's not all about the success achieved, although that's nice as well. But it's the friends you make and the good time shared on the fairways and especially the 19th hole. Just to finish, I'll touch on a few little anecdotal tales which will give you a feel 
for the characters James has played golf with over the years. And to be honest, he suffered in silence as they hacked their way around the courses from Dunfanaghy to Sleeve Russell, Rossapena to Port Patrick, Ross's Point to the Algarve. But he was always perfection personified, even if his four ball friends were, let's say, less than as accomplished. But all he would utter was a few words of encouragement, not your best. While his four ball partner, Wee Roger, was more discerning in his observation and poor play. Like one day when Tan went into the bunker at nine and said, I'll get the par and you go for the birdie. Ten shots later out of the bunker, Roger put a consoling arm around him and uttered a few memorable words. Someone asked him later, what did you say to Tom? Roger, slightly perplexed, as always, replied, I just said, don't worry about it, you bollocks. Giggs and I first met James not long after we started playing in Dunfanny. One Friday evening, we went down for nine holes and found a pitching wedge in the bunker near the 18th. We handed in to Doug Hennessy in the caravan at the first tee. The next morning we were down with the Central Bar Society and Doug handed us three new Pro V1s and said James wanted to thank us for finding his club, which would have been like losing his right arm if not recovered. He then introduced us to James and after a chat we were first up in the tee box. James stood back watching with 30 Central Bar members. Giggs went first and sent the spanking new Pro V1 over the out-of-bounds fence and halfway to the Dunfanny Port Nablau Road. I nervously followed and my effort wasn't much better, proceeded to follow the same path over the fence and didn't even make the main road. Back in 94, when the Ramblers were founded, we organised a golf classic to raise funds for the new CAT scan for Letterkenny General. I was in the Ramblers team with Hugh Brogan, sadly deceased, and convenial school principal Patsy McVicker and wee James. The night before, instead of an early night, I called into the village tavern where Giggs was the main host extraordinary. The morning came early and we were in the tea at 7.10. I raced down the road, just made it as the announcer called my name with James observing. The early morning sunshine made it difficult and I think it was the fourth hole before I had a decent ball. James was none too impressed, but as was his wont, he just walked along whistling to himself, but it was a sure sign he was disgusted with my late-night imperatives. But anyway, the high handicappers Hugh, Patsy and myself pulled it around on the back nine, and contributing to James' great play, we finished third overall, and picked up the crystal decanters from none other than future Ryder Cup captain Paul McGinley. Another moment to recall was the day James was playing the deer hunter in the final of the match play, if I recall. James was giving Neil a bar load of shots, but it was level pegging coming down the 18th. James was on the green with a birdie putt to win, but the deer hunter sunk a 40-foot putt from off the green to take the title. James wasn't impressed. Another day we played St. Patrick's between Kerrygart and Downings, created by Dermot Welsh, and recently added to the Ross of Penna Lynx portfolio. It was like 18 fairways cut through the Amazon jungle. If you veered off the fairway, you were fucked. Everyone struggled, but none more so than future councillor Michael Basher McBride. He found more rough than fairways and was in places no human being had ever trod before and lost a bucket full of balls into the bargain. Later at the Glen Bar inquest, Basher asked James, How do you play out of that rough, James? The wee man replied in his modest way without ever been condescending, I'm sorry Michael but I'd never be in there, and he was telling no lie. 
Back in the late 90s, the Muggish Ramblers made a few trips to Port Patrick near Stranraer in Scotland. About 30 seafarers made the trip in the Stenland line and had a great time. One day on the course, Giggs was in a four ball with James when he hit a stray shot towards the wind bushes. After a bit of searching, the ball was declared lost and the boys walked onto the green when Giggs exclaimed, I found it. As James and the boys waited in the green, Giggs made a few attempts to play it out from an unplayable lie. And finally, in frustration, he lifted it and threw it over the winds and it landed a few feet from the hole, then walked up and tapped the ball in as James stood in amazement. Giggs then walked on to the next tee and James luckily never knew until now. Finally, the tail to beat the bank. The Ramblers were in Ballyliffin, James, Big Paul Burton, Neil Murray and Giggs were in a four ball. On the sixth tee box, Paul, Big Paul was preparing to tee off in his usual methodical way when he looked up and said, Well, I think that's my doctor on the next fairway. James, who didn't take any prisoners, replied, Paul, just hit the ball, the next four ball's catching us. At this, Paul resumed his address position, but as he prepared to launch his drive, he was distracted again. In fact, that is my doctor. At this, James was ready to be tied and once again exclaimed, Paul, just hit the bloody ball, we've lost a hole. Paul, former rugger bugger of note and a polite gentleman, once again addressed the ball with his trusty four iron he always used and sent the ball straight into the wind bushes just in front of the tee box. At this, he turned to James and inquired, What shall I do now, James? To which Giggs commented, Go and see your fucking doctor. James is a legend within his own lifetime, a slightly overused epithet, but not in this case. For all his success at the Little White Ball game, he's a gentle guy and has been an excellent ambassador for Dunfanny Golf Club in the game of golf. Several years ago, we were visiting and met James by chance. Paul McGinley was hitting a few balls. It wasn't long after his Raider Cup exploits. James brought Mary and I over to meet him and get a few photos. Coincidentally, last year when I was recuperating in Beaumont after major surgery, I met a consultant, Cahill Morn, a nephew of Mary, an avid golfer who was friendly with Mick McGinley. I told him about Dunfanaghy and wee James, and recently they were up playing in a classic, and he was introduced to James, who was in his regular seat in the clubhouse. James's legend had reached Ball Bridge. <laughs>